Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, we interview with scholar Wei Peng, Lucas sells out for Rio, and we look at the films Tai Chi Hero, Natural Born Lovers, and Silent Hill Revelations. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, October 31st, 2012. Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me as always from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor, fresh out from trick-or-treating, getting all the candy that he could, and playing tricks on lots of people, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Brains, Paul. It rains. Hello, hello, everybody. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. Uh, happy happy I, Halloween. Happy Halloween to you. Uh, have you been festive this year for Halloween? Well, no. I mean, you know Halloween isn't really um, celebrated anywhere outside of Ocean Park and Disneyland here in, in, in Hong Kong. Because uh, it's well, just depend- not really, uh, it- So there's no such thing as really trick-or-treating yeah. uh, here. Uh, I did just have a recola cough drop, so I guess that's the closest thing to trick-or-treating for me it does year. depend on on how you define trick-or-treating if you go to Lang Kwai Fong of course there's lots of people uh tripping and treating I guess uh, yeah they, uh, I think they replace candy with alcohol yeah out here in uh Lang they Lang just Fong. go bar to bar and and uh give me a beer right <laughs> um, so yeah unfortunately it's not a you know outside of the two major theme parks it's you don't see kids going around door to door unfortunately but I did carve a pumpkin. Uh, just finished carving it about uh, 30 minutes ago or so before I started doing prep for the show. And a nice little carving. Going to put a candle in it and let that uh, let that puppy light up overnight, as I normally do every year. So try to keep a little bit in the festive mood. And uh, gave out some candy to my students today, who were always pleased to get free candy. I mean, who isn't? And <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, got to see... Uh, Scary movie today, somewhat scary, uh, but maybe for the wrong reasons. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so yeah, so far uh, it's been a pretty pretty good Halloween for me this year. Great. Uh, well, I, I hope it gets better with this show. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, though, I mean, there's a lot of nutty stuff going on. Um, I guess you've been following the news of, uh, you know, Hurricane St- Superstorm Sandy as it's... Uh, Pretty much smack down New York City. Ah, uh, you stole my you stole my Sandy joke. Oh, did I? You ruined my Sandy joke. I was, I was gonna say, yeah, I mean Sandy's been making a mess, and then there's that hurricane. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer you stole the joke, so yeah. it's not funny anymore. <laughs> well, you, 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 you had to give me some forewarning. I, I didn't know you were gonna no, uh, no. Lay, lay some I'm, fun I'm, down. You know, I'm I'm naturally a improvise improvising comedian. Mm. Yeah, um, it's 
I'm, I'm just my draw my jaw is kind of dropped open when I look at some of the stuff going on I mean the the subway system's going to be down looks like they're going to be out be without power for days I mean I'm used to that kind of stuff growing up in Florida um, but New York I mean you just don't hear about this kind of stuff happening up there so yeah I mean we here in Hong Kong we, we deal with you know typhoons coming head on and and you know we we get a little freaked out but you know most most of the time we we come out pretty unscathed now let's be serious let's be honest people jump for joy when uh you know when the signal goes up because they get to go home and get off work you know because because things are so because the city is so well prepared for these kind of stuff and it's been so used to it that yeah we're a lot more you know uh uh, um we're a lot usually a lot safer during these situations than than the people in in new york and yeah i hope um Things are safe and things get back to normal soon over there. Yeah. So if you happen to be listening from there at a later date or if you have relatives there, we do, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with them and we hope that uh, they can go through a, a speedy recovery. I know it's going to be hard for a lot of people because uh, there is a lot of devastation. And it's really, I mean, all the news is talking about the election. Did you vote? Have you voted? Uh, no, I couldn't um, register to vote in time. Um just kind of don't because you know this year you have to do the whole thing where you have to mail in you have yeah. to register all over again this year yeah, i think yeah where you have to mail your online online registration is enough you have to actually mail it in and yeah and yes i i kind of i feel bad about uh uh missing out on that yeah so i forgot failed to register uh, Kevin, but, but Kevin, fortunately Kevin. california is not a swing state uh when it comes to the presidential election, because that that really the the election I care about. Uh, yeah. But uh, sadly, yeah, I did not get to. I voted, that. but I don't know my, don't know if my vote's gonna count. Um, because yeah, like you said, they the system's all kind of wackiness now. They they change it from time to time, and it's it should be the easiest thing in the world. And having voted in the Hong Kong election, the Hong Kong election is the easiest thing in the world. I mean, it's just so simple. But I was talking to my parents yesterday. And they went to do early voting in Florida, and they had to line up for like three hours. Wow. And and it used to not be like that. I remember when I was voting back in the 90s in Florida. And you just go, and you just went, and there was no lines. There was no, you know, uh, none of this craziness that goes on now. Um, and I don't think it's a case of simply more people are voting. I think it's, they've, they've somehow jacked up the system to make it so that people, you know, it's frustrating people to vote which is not the way it should be unfortunately everybody should be able to vote should be super easy and especially in the digital age that we live in but let me end my rant there this is halloween i've had too much candy today i apologize no it's good you're talking quickly we're gonna have a good energetic show let's go all right so what are we gonna be talking about on this episode all right for east green um well first we'll have a interview with um uh, scholar wei ping who is uh i think curating the the haunted screen program here in hong kong i'll probably can talk a little bit more about that in a bit yeah. um and uh, for east screen we'll be talking about tai chi hero the second film in stephen fong's uh, tai chi trilogy um and i will be talking about natural born lovers uh the latest film from writer director patrick kong uh for west west screen uh paul you'll be talking about silent hill revelations is that right that's correct All of that and much more coming up right after a bit of news. So we're very happy to have joining us uh, on this episode, film scholar Wei Peng, who is here to talk to us about Haunted Screen, 
Hong Kong Ghost Films. This is a series that is going to be playing in the month of November, uh, throughout the month of November, at the Hong Kong Film Archive. So, uh, Wei Ping, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, your background and, and your interests in areas, different areas of films? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'm Wei Ping. Hi. Uh, I got my PhD degree in January 2011 um, from uh, Department of Culture and Religious Studies, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And my dissertation is mainly on the sound culture of early Chinese cinema. Um, my research interests include film theory and criticism, film history, film music, and documentary films, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so you are the guest curator uh, for this film, uh, for this series on Hong Kong ghost films that's happening this month. Um, could you tell us a little bit, how did you get involved with programming for the Hong Kong Film Archive? Uh, actually, in, I think I got this chance um, to get involved in this uh, film program um, purely by accident. Yeah. Um, yeah, because in spring, I, um, yeah, I, I quit my former job um, in the Chinese University of Hong Kong. So... Um, yeah, and then um, um, by an introduction of a friend, I got it, I got involved in um, programming uh, units of uh, Hong Kong Film Archive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so, were you interested in the ghost genre um, prior to working through on this uh, this curation? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Actually. Um, uh, the reason why they um, they invited me as the guest curator to do this program just because I um, yeah in uh, except my major I'm very interested in um, horror film this genre hmm. so yeah I also do uh, some research on this um, on horror films of Hong Kong cinema yeah okay so. so- Um, If I could just briefly read from the uh, website, it says that horror has played an important role in the history of Hong Kong cinema. Unfortunately, the genre has never been seriously analyzed by scholars and industry professionals, making horror a Mm -hmm. significant but forgotten part of cinematic history. Um, So this is going to be coinciding with um, an event that's happening um, between uh, Lingnan University and the Chinese University of Hong Kong. They're having... Uh, a symposium on uh, festivals and and paranormal culture is that correct? Yeah, because um yeah actually it's uh, organized by um, by uh, yeah our department, um, the culture and the religious studies um, of uh, the Chinese University of Hong Kong and the Linnan Yu. Yeah, mm. we co um we co organize this culture event. Mm. Yeah, I and uh, as one of the uh, one of the programs um, of the whole Ghost Culture Festival, and I curate this um, program. So there are five films in total um, for the program, including The Living Corpse, uh, Mid Nightmare, Love in the Red Chamber, The Shadow Boxing, and The Dead and the Deadly. And I think 
perhaps listeners to the show, people in the West, will probably be most familiar with that last one, uh, The Dead and the Deadly, starring Sammo Hung. Um, so why why pick these films? What Can you give us a little bit of an idea about um, the significance of each one, their importance to um, the, the genre of ghost films for Hong Kong cinema? Yeah, actually, it's a seven, it's not a five. And um, uh, there are two, and one is Mr. Uh, Vampire, and the other is Rouge. So um, totally, it's um, seven. So the the if the, if because if if um, individuals go to the website, they'll only see the five listed in the screenings. But the, these there are additional screenings of Rouge, uh, the film with Anita Moy, and also the original Mr. Vampire. But and those are mm-hmm. part of the hundred must see film series. Is that correct? Yeah, just because uh, they are um, they are two of the one hundred must see Hong Kong movies. So um, uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't appear on the website. Um, but right. we uh, but Hong Kong Film Archive pro, um, produce a um, separate portfolio uh, about the whole program. And uh, yeah, in the in the portfolio, there are seven. Hmm. So, so why uh, of the the five that I just mentioned? Because uh, mm-hmm. I think for Western Western listeners, um, they'll be very familiar with Rouge and with um, Mr. Vampire for sure. And mm-hmm. some will rec- uh, many will probably recognize the Dead and the Deadly, as I mentioned. Um, what about mm-hmm. the other ones? Uh, are there are there significant aspects? Why why were why were those selected for the the screening mm-hmm. seminar? Because I think uh, the five can. Uh, mm, can be the good representative uh, films uh, of horror films uh, in uh, Hong Kong film history. And uh, for example, for the, the Living Cops, um, I think it's a good uh, mixture of the um, the the left wing um, the the left wing uh, film tradition and the um, the local culture and especially the uh, the musical musical film ranger in the fifties. So, uh, so I pick I pick this film. And for the Mid a Nightmare, it's a remake of the nineteen thirty seven um, uh, Songs at Midnight. Um, I think it's a it's a, uh, for this film it's a good mixture of um, horror and. Uh, mm, And uh, some local Huang media opera, mm. um, as well as melodrama. So, and about the uh, love in the red cha- uh, chamber, it's a Cantonese opera. So it's uh, it's another um, uh, it's a it's another ranger. Uh, so, and about the shadow box, the dead and the deadly, and Mister Vampire. And they uh, belong to Vampire Ranger of uh, Hong Kong cinema, and uh, mix on uh, slapstick comedy, um, action kung fu, the kung fu comedy, um, as well as the motion and Zheng Yi toyist culture, um, and the ancient Chinese folk culture, and uh, and in historical literature. So. I think they can uh, represent different kinds of um, uh, 
arrangers uh, um, as uh, horror films in Hong Kong film history. Mm. That's the reason uh, why I picked them. Okay. Um, <clears throat> maybe could you give the listeners a little bit more insight into uh, the, the very nature, for example, you mentioned um, um, The Dead and the Deadly and, and Mr. Vampire and the... Um, I, th I think it's fairly well known for people who follow Hong Kong cinema in the West, the idea of the hopping vampire or mm -hmm. the Gyeongsi. And, and how is that... What, what are the significant views of that um, from, a, I guess, a Chinese perspective? I mean, Westerners will be very um, familiar with the idea of the Western vampire and uh, mm -hmm. sort of the the romantic notions of the way that that's been portrayed in popular culture. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a horror slash romance genre. But Chinese vampires are, are quite different. Um, they have, you know, they have quite different attributes. And some might not even really consider them vampires because they have, they, you know, the, in some ways they're more like the Western zombie. Uh, in in some mm -hmm. some fashion, what are you, what are your thoughts on the nature of of that type of mythology, that type of creature, and what it represents? Um, I think um, we can tell not only from the form, but also from the content of these films. And then, um, for me, I think uh, they are more like uh, the uh, cinematic production of the hybrid uh, locality. Mm. So. Um, um, for example, um, I think um, Mr. Vampire is a very good example because um, um, also I, I also write in the portfolio about uh, um, um, this film took a pop culture approach to the vampires of ancient Chinese folk legends and historical literature. Um, for example, the about the local toys, toys um, and, and actually I, it popularized the, the local uh, toys, um, Maoshan toys um, culture in this film. But uh, we also can tell, yeah, the Western influence of uh, um, a zombie and a vampire, um, vampire uh, tradition uh, and uh, Western films. Because uh, at that time, um, in, from from uh, according to my memory, from 50s till uh, 80s, um, Western uh, vampire films were were very popular in uh, in China. So um, I think um, 1980s, um, um, the film per, um, filmmakers tried their best to. Uh, to produce a local ranger uh, of um, uh, vampire films um, here. Um, so, um, so um, about the details, like uh, how to how to catch the vampires. Um, yeah, if you read the some Chinese uh, and the historical books. There, there are many, many stories about this, and um, um, about the methods how to how to catch that. And uh, I think uh, the uh, most of the methods are from traditional books uh, or um, literature books. Um, uh, um, and uh, um, 
The other important thing is the pot. You can find there is a female used uh, in the in Mr. Vampire. I think it's also a, um, it's also from the 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 Liao Zhai Zhi Yi, the the yeah from the Qing Dynasty. So I think it yeah it's uh, it's more like um a hybrid uh, ranger um of yeah as um. Uh, as a horror um, ranger and uh, local production, mm. yeah. And do you think that um, it's more difficult for the filmmakers to do these kinds of films today? Um, do you think there's more resistance to them? I mean, I, I know that uh, if we talk about, for example, Anne Hoy's Visible Secret, um, mm. there were all kinds of complaints when it was released because of the um, they did some filming of a couple of the scenes on the MTR and then, you know, people, they, the MTR was afraid that people would be afraid to ride the trains, um, and, and things like this. Is it, and, and in terms of the expense, I guess, the cost of, of making these kinds of films, um, if we look at, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the last vampire movie I saw, I think it was Wong Jing's The Vampire Who Admires Me, you know, just a really kind of low budget and and silly variation of the genre more so than anything else is it are people just were they did they get enough of these films in the 1980s and 1990s that they they're not ready for them again or is the industry not able to make them for other reasons do you think um i don't think so for me um many audiences still love um western vampire films now so we cannot see that mm, mm, people are not ready uh, any longer for this mm, film ranger. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, just because um yeah in 1980s um yeah the uh, the filmmakers used the low budget to produce these films. So more and more the um, yeah yeah they they were becoming more and more. Um, uh, low quality, and uh, so that's one of the important reasons why they disappeared uh, uh, later on. So now, um, I don't know, <laughs> because I never uh, ever really talk about this with uh, filmmakers now, mm. but um, I think um, they just lost their interest in these strangers, maybe because it vanished uh, yeah, yeah, before. Do you think that the loss of interest was from the filmmakers themselves or from the public, the audience? I think um, just because it, as a ranger, it vanished, it disappeared before, and maybe um, filmmakers um, don't think uh, it, they can revive um, this ranger again. Hmm. But for me, maybe it's a chance. And maybe it's a chance, but for them, maybe just because um, it was very popular um, during a, a specific period, and uh, uh, during that period, all the filmmakers already tried their best to to make use of all the kinds of uh, possible um, factors um, from the like from the uh, the the legends from the historical books and documents. So 
maybe um, maybe yeah for um, they don't think it uh, can attract the audience again um, yeah hmm. okay so I mean what do you think in terms of the um, in, in terms of uh, <clears throat> some of the genres that have since come out uh, and their impacts to Hong Kong film I'm thinking of um, of course, you had films like The Ring from Japan, uh, which mm. kind of reimagined the idea of, of, of not only the, the ghost image itself, but kind of how that was done uh, mm. from, a, from a filmmaker's sen cinematic sense and the idea of horror. Mm. Or I'm thinking, too, of like um, the, the Pang Brothers and some of the work that they did yeah. on uh, their films like The Eye and, and others mm. and, and sort of the... I don't know if it's fair to call it a, a, a westernization or, or basically a reimagination of of the ghost story that kind of moves away from the cultural conventions of something like a Mr. Vampire or a Chinese ghost story. Um, do you think that that is more of the current trend for filmmakers to, to go with that and to, to step away from the cultural aspects you were talking about? Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, um, I think um, uh, nowadays, um, no matter in Chinese film history, uh, in industry or in Western, um, according to the film, uh, horror films I watch, um, they are um, more and more focused on, I think, uh, psychological, psychological horror or, um, yeah, or analysis on the. On the horror mm. in the films, instead of the culture values or the culture traditions, mm, yeah. Mm. Um. So, once um once you get finished working on this uh, seminar series, um, do you have mm. other projects coming up? Do you have other things you're going to be working on after this? Uh no, actually I'm planning to um to keep uh to keep um uh, to keep uh modifying my papers. Mm. Uh, my paper on the um, vampire, um, vampire ranger. Um, you remember we, uh, I, yeah, I present this paper before. Um, I, I won't do. Um, I, uh, at least I won't uh, curate some programs here, but maybe I will curate some overseas. Um, yeah, overseas some programs mm. about the. I'm, uh, I'm planning a. Um, film program in Belgium um, about the cooperation films, um, Chinese cooperation films. And but, um, will that happen uh, this year or later in 2013? Uh, if it will happen, and it will uh, will happen in two uh, up two years. Oh, two years later. Okay. Yeah, two years later. And the the paper that you're working on, you you mentioned before. Um, mm -hmm. um, this is a, a sort of an extension of what you worked on earlier this year when you were at the um, the film symposium uh, for uh, Asian cinema, uh, which is where we uh, briefly talked before uh, earlier this year. Are you planning mm -hmm. to maybe publish a book later on this subject, on the Chinese vampire? Uh, not a book. Uh, I want to publish um, <laughs> papers mm. instead of a whole book. 
but actually after uh, uh, doing this film program and uh, after discussing with some um, mm, some professors who uh, were doing Taoist uh, studies, and actually I think mm, yeah, cultural value or cultural perspective uh, should become a focus. Um, uh, not only in the film uh, industry, but also in uh, in my own studies, at least. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, the film series is uh, the the official dates are November fifth through uh, November twenty eighth, and again, we'll put the links up in the show notes so that uh, listeners can go over and see all the screening times and the dates that they will be playing. And uh, again, also look for. Uh, not only the five films in the series, but also for uh, Rouge and uh, Mr. Vampire, which will also be playing uh, at different periods during the month. Um, Wei Ping, do you have any other ways that which listeners might be able to follow the work that you do? Do you um, do you put it? Do you discuss your work on Facebook or on Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, we uh, create a Facebook group, uh, Facebook uh, activity in Facebook. And also, um, yeah, the the portfolios, uh, the hard copies. Uh, I think um, the audiences can get almost everywhere in the culture centers of Hong Kong. Mm, okay. Mm. And what what's the name of the group for Facebook? Uh, it's the Hunted Screen Hong Kong Ghost Films. Okay, I'll mm-hmm. be sure to put that up in the show notes as well. Um, well, I'd like to say thank you for sitting down and taking the time to do an interview with us, and I wish you the best success with the screening series and with your future publications. Thank you so much. All right, so we do have a little bit of news to cover this week. Up first, news that ruptures the universe. Well, at least uh, the Star Wars universe, that is. Disney has bought uh, Lucasfilm. And let me tell you, if geek heads, uh, if you hear sounds of popping, it's the geek heads around the world that are suddenly exploding and imploding simultaneously, if that's even possible. Um, (laughs) This particular news that I'm going to be reading from is from the Wired article uh, from uh, today, or actually yesterday, uh, 5.01 p.m., and uh, by Angela Watercutter. And uh, But I'm sure you can find the same news throughout the blogosphere, throughout all different kinds of news articles. <clears throat> Excuse me. So basically, Disney buys Lucasfilm for $4 billion. Uh, that, that was uh, George's number to sell out. And uh, it says their target is for a Star Wars Episode Seven by 2015. So I'm not <laughs> sure how I feel about this. Um, you know, uh, I, I know that people, and myself included, we give George a lot of grief for episodes one through three, um, but there's been a lot of stuff done with Expanded Universe um, in terms of novels and, and things that have come after, and I know that that's not considered necessarily official, um, depending on who you talk to, but... You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of people really like that stuff. I never really got into that stuff, you know, the the, the expanded universe stuff that much. Um, but I think, you know, that's out there, and now you're going to go, and we don't know what Disney's going to be doing. Um, and, you know, it's Disney now. I mean, is it 
going to have Disney sensibilities. I've seen some people commenting that yeah, it's going to be more Jar Jar, right? Because that's hmm. Disney style. Um, so I don't know. I'm 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 kind of mixed, you know. And some people stated, you know, with with this acquisition, um, once it goes through, Disney's going to have Lucasfilm. They're going to have Marvel. They're going to have a whole bunch of geek related properties, and uh, you know, it's all going to be in their their wheelhouse. And what are they going to do with it? Are they going to be able to keep the quality of this stuff up? I mean. I'm a huge fan of the Clone Wars animated series that's been going on there in their fifth season now. And I've really liked a lot of the stuff they've done with that. And I know that Lucas himself is not directly involved in that. He still has final say, but they have a lot of good creative talent go into some of the writing there. And they've really produced some of the better narratives of the entire Star Wars franchise. And I'm guessing that's supposed to come to fruition or to its conclusion either with the fifth season or maybe a sixth season. I, th I think they're they're ending it soon, though. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if Disney's going to get involved or let that play out or, you know, how how this affects other areas like uh, Lucasfilm Games because they've got, their, you know, a couple of games in production right now. And, you know, I... Yeah, I I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on this. I'm a little bit excited, you know. And some people were joking that, uh, you know, they're going to start seeing a lot of crossover uh, stuff with between like Mickey and Star Wars. But they've already had that, um, you know. They had the Star Wars ride at Disney MGM for a number of years, and they you could buy like uh, Mickey Mouse themed uh, Star Wars characters, um, you know, like uh, Mickey as Luke Skywalker and, and things like that. Um. Does this mean we might get a Star Wars theme park in the future as a park expansion? That would be kind of cool. Uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, seeing that. Um, but again, they've had characters associated with it, again, with the Disney MGM franchise in the past. So, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more work in, in those areas. So, I don't know, what do you think of this, Kevin? You're, you're not a huge Star Wars fan, uh, but uh, you have thoughts on, on this acquisition? Oh, I, I'm a Star Wars fan. I mean, I watch, of course, all, all six films. I don't really do... I don't actually consume any of the expanded stuff. Um, nothing like Clone Wars. I don't read the, the fan fiction. I played the game before, but I never got through the first level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, sorry, the Star Wars series ended after episode six. I, I don't... I know that some people say Lucas promised nine episodes, but for me, when... When you know the 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 emperor was defeated and the the the, the second Death Star was blown up and the the little furry animals are dancing on Endor, that's the end for me. Yeah, how's that song uh, go? Yugnub, yada Yugnub. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see how how they would. Anything else just seems like kind of a. Well, I mean, I can't even say like like a cash cash thing anymore because I mean that's the whole Star Wars franchise. I mean, I, it would just be a fact, not really opinion. Um, but I just don't particularly like the idea because I mean, one to three makes sense, right? Maybe one to three completed the, the saga, so I see why they did it. But to expand it when I didn't see really storytelling wise, I didn't see any really uh, necessity to to continue this universe other than the fact that you know. They have to make money, and um, yeah, I, I have my doubts. I know enough. A lot of fans are really happy because they'll get three more movies, but 
Yeah, I I am a little skeptical. I mean, Paul, do you are you looking forward to three more Star Wars? Movies? It's going to really depend on who gets involved. I was having a Twitter discussion with some other fans online today, and they were speculating, you know, who they'd like to see come into the director's role, and they threw out names like people like Joss Whedon, um, Del Toro, J.J. Um, uh, Abrams, and you know, of course, I threw immediately threw up a flag and said no J.J. Abrams because he's already got the Star Trek franchise. So if he gets the Star Wars franchise as well, that's somehow going to rip the fabric of space-time and <laughs> just cause massive calamity. But I, um, I, I don't know why why people expect different collaborators because Lucas has held this very close to himself, especially the the prequels. So it's clear that Lucas is going to be him and him alone doing it. But but who if they he no longer owns the rights, who's to say that, right? I mean, uh, if Disney holds the power now. They could bring on anybody they want, technically, right? Yeah, but Lucas is still... I'm sure that there has come some kind of clause that, that ends with Lucas still being in charge of any creative decisions. Well, perhaps. Uh, including who who controls or who, who works on the, the, the future films. And let's face it, Lucas wasn't very big on collaborating in the first three, in, in episodes one to three, the way that he was in four, four five, and six. So I don't really expect yeah. any... He'll bring on anyone that would... That would um, um, over override his authority, or have yeah. the have it, the talent to override know, his talent. It does <laughs> say, though, he does say um, in the article. It says uh, Lucas, the sole shareholder of Lucasfilm, said in a press release announcing the acquisition, "It's now time for me to pass Star Wars on to a new generation of filmmakers." Huh. So, I, which he's kind of done. I mean, he's done that. If you look at the Clone Wars TV series, and there, there was rumor of a live action TV series. I don't know if that's still going forward. Um, so he has done that to some extent, and if you look at, again, some of the stuff that was directed, uh, some of the live action, or not the live action, some of the CG, uh, video stuff that was directed for the online game for, um, uh, the Old Republic, I mean, some of that stuff was amazing, uh, and people were always saying, oh, how come, you know, Lucas didn't get these guys to do the prequels and, and things like that, so... You know, I it'd be interesting. interesting. Uh, my pick would be somebody like a Peter Jackson because I think that he would. You know, Star Wars already has its own, its own sort of art direction, its own feel and look to make it seem like it fits. And somebody like Del Toro, I think, coming on to do sequels would not be good because he's got his own very own distinctive style, and I don't think that would make it would gel well. So you'd have to get somebody who's willing to work within the established style, but still have some you know, creative juices director-wise. So for me, I think Peter Jackson would, would be able to work well within the property and, and, and sort of keep it true to itself. If they were going to just do reboots, then I would love to see what a Del Toro would come in and do with it stylistically, because I think that'd be interesting. But we're not getting reboots. We're going for a, a 7 and presumably an 8 and a 9 later, right? I would, I would go with someone younger, like the um, director of District 9. I haven't really, I don't really remember his name. Um, him and uh, because well, we need someone younger and greener mm. than someone that's like Jackson or or, or Del Toro who have who really have their own kind of franchises to work on. You want someone that you know is still green and hasn't done these kind of big franchise filmmaking. So I would, you know, I think the director of uh, District Nine would be a good choice, and um, and maybe the, the guy who directed uh, George Lucas in Love. <laughs> there you go. I would, I would. Well, you know, speaking of that, you know, speaking of fan films and things, one of the one of the comments, uh, very or first comments, I think, on uh, the, the Wired article made me laugh. It was by a, a commenter who went by the tag name of 
Avantes, if I got that correct, says, It's as if a million fans cried out at once and were suddenly silenced by a cease and desist order about Disney's copywritten property. <laughs> so, you know, there is this idea that, uh, you know, the mouse has gotten that much bigger and will use a heavy legal hand to put the kibosh on fan films and, and all other kinds of stuff, which has kind of, uh, you know, Lucas has kind of been okay with in later years. He didn't really like it at first, but, you know, with a lot of the Star Wars conventions and things, they made fan fil films as, as one of the competitions that they did um, on a regular basis. And so he kind of got behind that for, for a while. And now the idea is that maybe, you know, Disney is going to be um, very legalistic in their approach. So we'll have to wait and see if that comes to pass. Whatever, I guess the force is strong with the, the mouse, so we'll have to wait and see what they do with it. Uh, jury's still out for me, though. All right, let us move on. Kevin, you have some Ip Man news for us. I thought we were done with Ip Man. No, we never done with Ip Man. Um, yeah, I, I think we talked about the upcoming Ip Man films already, um, in, including the Grandmasters, the Wong Kar Wai film, which has been locked for December 18th release date, apparently. Um, and also, uh, of course, Ip Man 3 or Ip Man 3D, the Wilson Yip um, uh, series. Uh, and uh, I might have mentioned this already, but um, Herman Yao will be doing his second Ip Man film. Uh, he's actually, I think he's done shooting already, called Ip Man Final Fight. And Ip Man uh, will be played by Anthony Wong. And um, more information has now come out because uh, Emperor Motion Pictures is joining as a, or is announcing itself as one of the investors in the film. And it will be bringing the film to uh, the American film market, which has just um, began this week. Wait, so wait, uh, wait, new wait. information. Which Anthony Wong? The which and not the singer. The actor. So he's gonna be playing uh old Ip old, old, old Ip. Ip. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, this 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 um this this Ip Man is uh takes place I think even after the Ip Man films, that Wilson Yip's Ip Man films. Uh it'll be a older Ip Man, um since it's Anthony Wong. Um It'll be, I think, maybe the 60s or 70s or something. Probably take place in, takes place in Hong Kong. Um, when they, there are some pictures from the set. Apparently, the the investors, including Chuck Lee Sin, who made, of course, who invested in uh, Legend is Born and Man Star and Dennis Toe. He um, apparently invested, him and his co-investors uh, put in 200 million renminbi and built like a, kind of like a legend, legend uh, uh, bodyguards and assassin-like set. Huge, huge set that kind of um, that is the re replica of, of uh, Hong Kong 1970s, a very uh, ambitious production, apparently. Hmm. But the new information includes uh, Eric Zung uh, co-starring as the grandmaster of the White Crane style who transitions from Ip's rival to best friend. Um, other um, cast cast members, uh, which has been previously actually um, Wait, named. Uh, is this a comedy? No. Eric Sung so, was once a stuntman, so actually he can do martial arts or he can do kung fu. But he's not a young guy anymore. And well, but neither the, Anthony Wong. Know, the characters aren't supposed to be young people anyway. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like he's not like Samo. You know, Samo is, is is still as big, but he's at least been doing martial roles and choreography and things for years and years and years. The what was the last bit of stunt work Eric Zhang did? I, I, you know, he's usually on the Sunday super shows or in Wang Jing movies, right? Well, since since the um uh this is 
both characters are playing older older characters, I think we can expect the action to go to younger stars. Mm, okay. um, including uh, Jill- Jillian, who will be playing with the Rose, uh, Marvel Chow, I think it's a younger star, and um, Shong Xingxing will be the action director of the film. Interesting. Uh, actually, uh, a little bit of a scoop. Um, I'm not sure if I'm able, allowed to say this, but since I was told not off the record, because I met Herman Yao a few months ago, I think I mentioned it here, and he said that the character... Since even though Bruce Lee is in this period of a man's life, they couldn't include Bruce Lee's Bruce Lee because his name is copyrighted. Um, so so he will be so there will be a likeless, uh, I guess a, a doppelganger Just or call a him Bruce Lee Bruce Lee in the film, and I'm not sure which actor is playing that role, but um, yeah, but I guess a, a a version another character that's kind of like Bruce Lee will be in the film. So yeah, I think that younger actor will take on much of the action yeah you just call him bruce lie that's what they did with all the knockoff movies back in the 70s right ah there you go uh anyway yes albert lee the ceo of emperor motion pictures uh he's a quote from him just because we should we're thrilled to have been able to get such a stellar cast who are respected martial artists in their respective disciplines i don't think he's referring to anthony Wong and eric Tung, but anyway audiences will find their combination of skills add a new level of authenticity to the tale of grandmaster Ip. Hmm. um no 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 uh, release date set but um i think they just recently wrapped production so probably coming next year all right i'll look forward to that uh last bit of news uh story about uh bona and fox doing co-production yeah, this is a pretty huge story apparently because I got the press release on on Sunday of all days. But yeah, uh, China, China's uh, Bona Film Group, uh, who produced uh, Flying Sword of Dragon Gate, A Simple Life, essentially one of China's biggest film studio next to Huayi, they have now struck a uh, co-production agreement with Fox International Production. Um, the two companies will together develop, produce, and distribute Chinese language films throughout China. This is a big deal because News Corp, uh, of course Fox, has been trying to get into China, um, and they've worked with Huayi before um, on Love and Space and and Hot Summer Days, but um, only one of those two projects worked out. And they also did The Butcher, The Chef, and The Swordsman. So this is actually their biggest real attempt to get into the Chinese market by signing up a, a uh, multiple film production deal with a real, a, a actual Chinese studio. Um, I'm not sure what what the actual um, conditions will be. There have been, you know, other other companies have signed co-production deals before, including DMG, who is actually run by a, I think a foreigner, but a Chinese-based company. Um, they do they did Looper, and also they're doing Iron Man Three. There's also a, like I said earlier, Huayi has done co-productions with Fox, um, and there was also Huayi with the Legendary Pictures uh, deal that that apparently went flop. Um, a few months after so yeah um, it'll be interesting to see what Bona and, and Fox do together uh, to see what kind of films they include um, what do you think Paul any, any new thoughts about this co-production thing well I don't really have a you know a, a, not nothing really I mean it's just <laughs> a, <laughs> you know, I another... mean it'll be interesting to see what 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 Fox can bring to to Bona's production because Bona has the connections. They have the filmmakers. I mean, they work with Trey Hark and 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 like uh, and Hui and these are biggest some of the biggest directors in in the Chinese film industry. Um, with Fox's experience and money and 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 technical 
expertise. I mean, I would like to see what what they do bring to the table here. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll have to, you know, give them some time to get some stuff worked up. As long as they don't bring Bill O'Reilly from Fox News, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But he can do it live. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Enough goofing around. Let's get serious and uh, talk about some movies, shall we? Yep. All right, uh, we've got one, two East Green films for this week. So up first, we're going to talk about Tai Chi Hero, also known as Tai Chi 2, uh, according to the Chinese title. And uh, so this is the direct sequel to Tai Chi Zero, which was released uh, just around a month ago, I guess. And uh, it continues the story of the main character, Yang Luchan, who we left off at the end of uh, Tai Chi Zero. He had defeated the uh, the big cyber steampunk, uh, the, the big steampunk uh, railroad tank machine. And uh, he had sent uh, the protagonist, or the antagonist, who was, was trying to encroach upon uh, the village, uh, sent him packing, and he was all set to get married to Angela, young Angela Baby's character, right? Um, and so the film pretty much picks up right from there, and it, it keeps the story going. Uh, introduces a few more characters. We're introduced to the brother of uh, Angela Baby's character, who's uh, returning to his village, and we find out that uh, he is a uh, he's never really been interested in martial arts. He's always been more interested in machines, and so he creates. He's kind of like a a steampunky James Bond. He creates uh, little gadgets to help him overcome his uh, his uh, lack of aptitude with martial arts. Um, so he creates like you know little gadgets and bodysuits and things. Uh, if you think of uh, the character uh, uh, Data from uh, Goonies, right? He's kind of like a steampunky version of that, I guess. And uh, so he comes back to town, and and he's trying to figure out why his sister is marrying this uh, this this goofy outsider, and uh, he wants to kind of prevent it, and uh, he ends up crossing. Uh, his father in in the meantime uh, who's the village headmaster who we've learned is a uh, is Tony Lung's character um, so there's that sort of side family issue uh, then in the meantime our main villain has returned uh, back to sort of the home base and uh, he's licked his wounds and now he's coming back uh, for a second round this time he's instead of bringing a big uh, uh, steampunk machine he's bringing three big British cannons uh, that's been loaned him, I guess, from uh, Peter Stormari, you know, for the win. And so that sets up sort of the round two of, of the confrontation, a more Western military technological might versus uh, the prowess of the Kung Fu warriors. Uh, Lang Luchan, Yang, Yang Luchan still has to deal with his uh, problem with his, uh, his little uh, golden horn or golden crown that makes him go crazy. Uh, whenever, whenever someone hits it, um, and but it also makes them sort of like get super powerful at the same time, uh, because that's killing him, and so he needs to sort of practice uh, the, these new style, this new style of kung fu that he's learning from uh, his father-in-law to try and relieve the poisons that are being released because of this power that he has. 
And so, basically, uh, through a series of confrontations, this all leads up somehow to him and uh, the, the village kind of succumbing to the attack and him and Angela maybe ending up having to escape and try and get in touch with um, one of the high-ranking officials in the government and to get them to intervene and prevent the, the village from being destroyed by this, uh, this need to build a railway. And in order to do that, he has to meet with a, a certain high-ranking official who turns out to be Yun Bao. And, of course, they have to fight for... The, the reason is because he needs to test their kung fu to make sure they are who they say they are. So that gives them the reason to fight. But ultimately, um, that sets up sort of the climax, which isn't really a climax. It's, it's somewhat uh, downletting for this second film. Um, it really, I, I think in terms of comparing it directly with the first film, this one really lacks a lot of the visual fun. Uh, as I remember talking about when we reviewed the first film... There is a lot of uh, sort of uh, meta references to things like video games and and other things that we talked about that are apparent in the first film. They don't do any of that here, really. And this sort of comes becomes just a sort of straightforward narrative, more action, but nothing overly inspired. Um, the, the, the steampunky aspect really sets it in a universe of its own, which is fine. Um, so it does make reference to some aspects of history, but you're so far removed from history because of, of the tech that they're showing. Um, you are pretty much in, a, in sort of a fantasy version of China, which is, which is perfectly good. Um, but when they drop some of the fun stuff that they were doing in the first film, um, there's nothing really to fill that void here in, in the second film. A um, couple new actors show up. Daniel Wu shows up. He's got a cameo. It's kind of odd. Um, I would have expected him to take on one of the more pretty boy roles, and he's kind of in a in a, in, a, in a role that's not really typical for Daniel Wu. So it's interesting to see him show up and do what he does. Uh, just a small part, though, really. And uh, the showdown at the end, the fight choreography is good, but it is kind of anticlimactic, and then it's just sort of rushed uh, to the end. There's not even really a real epilogue. There's a hint of things building for a third film, but they didn't actually film a third film when they did these two. I think uh, Kevin can fill us in on a little bit of the details. They're supposed to try and get more funding for the third film, which I hope they do, because this really feels unfinished. It really feels kind of like a an Empire Strikes Back moment, you know, to give a Star Wars reference, where you're just kind of left hanging, and you don't really have a lot of closure. Um, but it's got Peter Stormari, so it can't be all bad, right? Um... I'd say to rate it, I'd really have to give it on its own a TV it, but only after seeing the first one. So, yeah, Tai Chi Hero, Kevin. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna simply repeat. I think I, I tweeted this, so I'm not sure if people follow me on Twitter. Sorry, I'm gonna repeat this. The two Tai Chi films, it's like this girl that your friend wants to introduce you to. You know, hey, she looks really nice. Here's a photo. Uh, she looks really nice, and uh, she's a really nice girl. You know, she she likes to you know she laughs at your jokes and things like that. And she's a great girl. You should meet her. You should totally meet her. And you look totally look forward to meeting her. And you really want to like her. And then when you meet her, and then you go on two dates, and then realize it's not gonna work out. That that's the Tai Chi film for me. Um, it's definitely out to impress. And I really really want to like the films. I mean, the trailer, the trailer for the the trailers for the films were great. Um, well edited, um, really sets a tone, the whole, um, the humorous, 
um, kind of offbeat tone of the whole thing. It sets it up very well. And then the films themselves don't know how to impress. I wish the, the editors of the of the trailers would edit the film again and, and maybe put a little fun into it, put a little flair, put a little style. Um, but it, it just doesn't don't it doesn't quite deliver the way that you the way that you that makes you really want to like the film. Um, apparently this second part was in post post production even back in September, which is what a month ago. And so it, it's definitely um It shows too. Was that? It shows too. Yes, it's definitely a rush job. Definitely rush. Uh, apparently, what I've heard is that the the October, this late October slot was supposed to go to another film, and that film isn't finished. And since they shot Tai Chi back to back, they essentially rushed post production on the second film to try and get it out, um, and do the whole month back to back release uh, for it. Uh, which is why the first film is a lot more polished than this film. Um, most of the gaming effects are gone. Um, except for one sequence that Paul missed out on most of because he went to the bathroom. <laughs> While that, that, that whole sequence is on, on screen, I'm like, Paul, Paul, where are you? So, so there's one, one game, game effect sequence in the film left. Yeah. Word to uh, the wise, avoid the big Coke. Yes, apparently so. But yeah, that one was the, really the only game, game effect scene, and I kind of missed the 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 overflowing of information in the first film because the, 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 the style doesn't really hold up in the second film. They don't really, they're not really consistent enough here. And, and I guess, you know, maybe because they didn't have enough time to add the effects in or because they never planned to put up that much effects in or something like that. But this film is getting better word of mouth in China than, than the first film. So, you know, what do I know? Right. Um, William Fung as the old, as uh, Andrew baby's older brother, he comes in and steals a show. Um, he, he's good in the film, but he doesn't really save the movie because, I mean, the movie was really beyond. He doesn't really lift the quality of the film. He doesn't really make the film better, but he does keep it from sinking to, to rock bottom. Um, it's a good performance, and I think his character is so much more interesting because it's this guy who... And it says a lot more about about the times, you know, because he, he, is, a, he is a man who, 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 who relies on inventions, who relies on machines and gears rather than, than martial arts. And he is kind of represent the new China very much uh, or progressing China or a, uh, a modernizing China. And I think his care, I would rather see a movie about his character than about the Tai Chi guy. Yeah, he was more interesting for sure. Yes. And I think his arc is more, more, more interesting. And he, even his partner, he has a, I guess she was his wife. You know, he has like a yes. mute wife who's an expert martial artist and kind of his protector for a bit. And I was really intrigued about their relationship, too, but they never really do anything with her character. They never really get into their background at all. It seems like a missed opportunity. Maybe that'll be stuff they would cover in a third film, possibly, but I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it, it feels a lot... Of, yes, like like the first film, it feels like the second film has a lot of missed opportunity. And, and when you wish that the film was about a supporting character who doesn't show up until the second film, I think your series might be in a bit of trouble. Um, the whole story is kind of repetitive, like a video game anyway. Uh, continuing from the first film, you know, the bad guys try to take over village. They lose. They come back with something bigger. They lose. They, they come back with something even bigger and then they lose again. And they just go back and forth and back and forth. I don't, this is not epic. This is a video game. <laughs> well, I think we just saw three levels of a video game. Um, but I mean, finally, after a hundred minutes of waiting, after, you know, the first film and, and 80 minutes through the second film, we finally got a decent fight. 
I really like that kitchen scene, and and I think yes, it was a little the the result of it or whatever after after that is very anticlimactic, but I was so happy there's finally a decent fight scene. Well, that, um, that, if I remember correctly, it was Samo who cor- did the choreography. Samo did the choreography for the entire film. Yeah, for both films. Yeah, he's the action director, and, and so essentially and it, directed- it does show there is a quality to a lot of the action. It just it took a while for the second film to get to that final fight. And one of the, one of the things I remember thinking was, in the first film, you have this big steampunky machine that's kind of cool and different, and that's sort of the boss of the f- film, right? Yeah. But then in the second film, they just bring in three big cannons to attack the village. And that's already sort of like a, a decline, because, all right, there are three big cannons, but, you know, it's... And I was I was saying after the film they should have done that in reverse. It should have been the soldiers with the cannons as sort of the first wave, and and that that was the climax of the first film. And then the Troy machine, the the, the steampunk tank thing, as the second thing because that was bigger and more interesting and 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 it would have served better in the second film as a build up to that final fight with Yun Biao because it would have been more in- interesting in the middle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I think the industrial revolution never got far enough where they figure out how to put cannons on a machine. <laughs> I guess, which is why they didn't think of putting cannons on that damn thing, which would be much more impressive, personally. I think. And, and also, brief, brief fire. Maybe that's just me. You know, it would look like a Chuckasaurus. <laughs> I think it would be, it would be pretty cool. But yeah, you know, I was glad to have a decent fight, and and I think that's where really Samuel Hong's um uh, uh, uh talent really finally showed up. Because the other films were so the fights were so cut up with the MTV and or the XTV whatever the editing that you never got to see really one decent martial arts fight because everything else was so cut up. Um, and I was actually well the tofu the tofu fight in the first one was also pretty good. So I, I'm glad that yes we had two decent fights in two movies. Uh, Peter Stormare, Peter Stormare had um, not only did he did he slum again in a, in a China film I forgot what his last China film was I remember he did another one. But uh, he showed up here with a fake British accent, which is totally, which is so obviously faked and 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 forced. Was he even trying? That it didn't even seem like he was trying. To watch if you know what a real British um, accent sounds like. Um, yes, it's a. The ending is totally rushed. Um, they they filmed these two films back to back because it was already expensive enough, and I'm guessing they didn't want to throw all over 300 million RMB into three movies back to back, and of course scheduling problems, of course. So. Um, before the second film came out, um, the press conference they already announced that the, the the third film is a go, and I'm guessing they will be starting production relatively soon. Um, I, I'm waiting. I, I'm guessing waiting waiting for the uh, how it does in China because it opens in China this week. Officially opens in China this week, um, and I'm guessing they're waiting to see how it does. Uh, hopefully, it will do well enough that that they can actually try and uh, have more ambition for the third film. Even though it's not really likely, I know that the first film underperformed, so I'm no, I'm no, I don't expect much for the second film. But please, 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 do a decent third film to wash off the stink of the second film. Seriously, I, I was a little disappointed. Um, I mean, it's not great. And and again, I'm gonna repeat something on Twitter. I think me and me and Ross, we we agreed using baseball terms that it's really somewhere between a a, a ground out and a and a single. So, so it, it kind of gets on base. It's a hit, but it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really impress. 
So um, I'm hoping that it becomes at least double in the in the second film. By the way, go Giants! Yay, go Giants! Uh, anyway, so finally, uh, yeah, Taichi Hero um, TV it and only with the first film. I think saying through both films would be kind of painless, and and um, it is a very I think this 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 series is very important for the Chinese film industry because it's really a they need really ambitious projects like this, and I really really wanted it to work out and for them to produce something that. It's kind of subpar. It's a little disappointing. So, um, but it's still worth watching, and and yeah, give it a try. Um, but don't really expect too much so far. Paul. All right. Um. So there you have it. We we'll have to wait and see if we get any kind of closure with a third film, which I hope we do. So we've got a second East Green film this week, and that is. Natural Born Lovers from uh, Patrick Kong, is that correct? Yes, yes. It is Patrick Kong's uh, latest romance opus. Um, kind of a new new attempt this time. Uh, no longer working with um, his usual collaborators. Uh, this time he's working with China 3D, uh, Steven Seuss Company, the people who recently brought you Due West. Uh, this time he's working with those guys. Christmas movies in 2D. Um, and of course, a, a new cast, uh, inclu- uh, mainly Julian Chen and Annie Liu as the leads. Kind of a new combination. Uh, I haven't seen them in films for a while, uh, lead role, so it's kind of refreshing. Um, but the film itself, uh, not that good. But uh, yeah, here we go. Um, Julian Chen plays Little Taylor, who was uh, once a Chow star, um, a big Chow star who started in a lot of films and then faded out and became a, um, a, a, a patisserie owner. I guess he makes kicks for a living. Uh, but he still gets um, gets gets um, recognized on the streets. Um, during one one, but he's he's the he's the really nicest guy in the world, and he's always used by his three sisters' boyfriends as uh, for alibis uh, while they go cheat on their girlfriends. Uh, so they have to cover everyone. And during one of these incidents, um, he gets recognized by the paparazzi, and 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 uh, when he gets to the center of the hospital. Uh, he runs into a um, nurse named Bobo, played by Annie Lil. Um, Bobo and, and uh, Tyler had a little run-in before that at a restaurant when uh, Bobo was seen uh, begging, trying to beg her boyfriend to take her back, and then she was beaten up by the ex-boyfriend, and Tyler chose not to do anything about it. So Bobo got her revenge by, um, by, by, by revealing or exposing him to her paparazzi, but that's a cute first meeting. And then the two... Um, Kind of felt fall in love later on over their their um, a meeting uh, because Taylor is a big fan of elevators and during one of their elevator trips I guess they they fell in love. Um, but what Taylor doesn't know is that Bobo is a very obsessive lover. She is very possessive. She gets jealous easily. She's one of those girls who um, who would call you all the time and make sure and wants to know when you get home, and then wants to know when you go to sleep, and then wants to know when you're brushing your teeth, wants to know when you're waking up, wants to know when you're leaving for work. You know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, so so he quickly gets kind of annoyed and, and wants to wants to uh, get rid of her, but. Um, knowing her behavior, of course, she starts stalking him. So yes, it's uh, a girl that is not that easy to get rid of. Um, Patrickon is drawing from his uh, book of love again. Um, the romance is kind of ho hum, um, and lots of digression involving uh, cameos and you know people making cameos like uh, Mark Wu, the director of Duess. Uh, and also uh, Alton Yu, a, a local radio host, um, 
making cameos and and spewing out really quick dialogue about how Hong Kong men and women act in relationships. Um, they're supposed to be timely uh, re- observation, but honestly, those digression can really be in any film. They're just this feel like Patrick Collins trying to have to shove it in into this really ho-hum story that he put together. So the film is kind of draggy and, and goes kind of all over the place, of course. Um, especially when it goes to the subplots about, about you know, the sister's boyfriends. And then you have these cameos and they're talking really quickly and they have these observations. I mean, these, ob- these, these observations are fine. They, they, they're funny sometimes. They, they actually write. There's some really astute stuff in there, but it doesn't really belong in the film. Um, they they're really too digressive for a movie that runs 106 minutes. Um, the movie doesn't get really interesting until Bobo starts showing her dark side. Um, there's a scene where they they kind of suggest that she might be cooking a dog. She might have cooked the dog, um, but then it goes nowhere. It kind of goes back to that you know melodrama stuff. You know, there's even a side plot about a girl who forgot why she lost her boyfriend and then. And then Taylor has this magic cake that makes people reclaim their memory and they remember. Uh, it's it's all kind of gag-inducing, really. It's so syrupy, syrupy romantic melodrama stuff that, you know, doesn't... That just kind of takes the film out, out of its focus or kind of takes away the focus, really. And I'm not exactly asking for misery here. I'm not asking for fatal attraction. But I just kind of wanted it to go somewhere interesting. Or bring me something new, you know, because you know the care. It, it's almost like it goes somewhere. It, it attempts to go somewhere and then pulls back really way too quickly. Um, the TV style, the TV style dialogue really annoyed me here. You know, you have you have characters who talk in exposition, and all they do is is review information to the audience, but not really talking to one another. Um, it really annoyed me here because people are just blabbing on all the time, um, and the story's not moving along. So it was really quite annoying. Um, Julian Chan has always been a solid, even though not particularly good actor. So he's here, he's solid, though not particularly good. You know, he's a good actor and he's a fine actor and he's solid and, um, he's reliable. Um, but Annie Liu, I would like to nominate her for the Trying Too Hard Award this year. Uh, bless her. I mean, she's a, she's, she's, she, she tries really hard to, to pull off. Patrick Kong's demand on a on a character like this, even to the point where she has to start switch to Mandarin, to 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 kind of deliver the dialogue a little more natural here because she did she didn't speak Cantonese natural um uh um it's not her mother tongue, so at point she really she had to switch to Mandarin I think in in quite a, in, in quite a few scenes, um and she tries really hard but it just doesn't it, it comes off as trying too hard, um in fact. Her forehead is working so hard that I think it's a supporting character in and of itself. Hmm. It's like she turns around and there's a forehead. It's like, whoa. And I mean, I'm talking about like the frowning, squeezing forehead because, you know, she's trying because she's squeezing her forehead really hard. Um, so, I, you know, bless her. Uh, she's trying, but just not working out. I'm so sorry. Um, after watching this, I began to like Love is the Only Answer, which is a previous film, a little more in retrospect. I mean, you had actors who were used, who were used to Kong style of dialogue, who are used to playing, you know, speaking fast and do Cantonese dialogue much better, and and I think the humor was better in that film, and a little less digression. The story is a little more focused, and I begin to like it a little more in retrospect. Um, so this is a really weak effort, even for Patrick Kong. Um, but I did laugh a few times. There is some okay stuff in there, so it's not really a total wash, but it's a pretty bad film 
for me. So um, I would say VCD, pay TV, or even uh, okay. Well, I'll just go pay TV. Yeah, so pay TV it. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Okay, Paul, so are you are you planning to to catch this? Yeah, uh, you have a chance. Uh, I do want to see it. Um, a couple of questions. Sure. How does it how does it rank uh, in terms of his last uh, two films? I guess Mr. and Mrs. Single and um, what was the other one um, with uh, Heem Law and uh, Charmaine? Oh yeah, that's Love is the only answer. Yeah, yeah, I, and I like Love is the only answer more. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was more focused. The performances were better because you know Alex Fong is used to being in Patrick Kong movies, and Charmaine Fong is coming from the TVB school of acting, which is a lot of really quick dialogue and lots and lots and lots and lots of dialogue, and she really kind of pulled that off there really well. Um, so I like that actually. In retrospect, it actually is a better film. Um, Mister Miss Singler was too boring, mm-hmm. but but it doesn't go all over the place the way that this one does. Um, actually, actually, I think his his Hong Kong ghost stories ha- uh, short was actually quite amusing, even though again it's not really good. But I thought it, it, it it's it's way better than this one. It's <laughs> actually quite amusing. Okay. So d- does he? I mean, does he return to the? I know you said that uh, it's he's drawing from his book of love again. Does he? Does he return to some of the same themes that he always plays with? You know, the 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 backup lover or the um the um, you know, I'm thinking back to some of the stuff that he did with uh, some like of the support. Yeah, yeah, su- well, yeah, but some of the supporting characters, like I remember um, the DJ actor Sammy was one of the supporting characters in one of the films, and they had this whole thing where he was seen by someone with another girl, and it was alluding to that he was, you know, tip- a typical cheating guy, but then it turned out to be something completely innocent. And then a couple times he's had the M. Night Shyamalan style ending where he throws in a twist like right at the last minute it, 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 he didn't really do that in Mr. and Mrs. Single but he did do that in the, the other one um, and uh, you know right at the end when sort of what was it uh, Heem Law's character you know comes to this realization that he has to be a douchebag to get girls to like him um, does, he, does, he, does he do that here at all too? There's a twist but it's a lot kinder let's just say this is a happy patrick kong romance mm, okay thankfully um no it's not it, it, there is a twist again that you know totally isn't it really isn't isn't necessary but at least yeah it's not as mean-spirited as, as his uh previous films mm. uh especially you know we're talking like what is it uh um uh marriage of a fool which is just really mean-spirited um elf for love elf for lies in a way yeah uh yeah it, a lot nicer but still a twist here yes all right. Well, I'm looking forward to getting out and seeing it at some point. All right. I think it's time to move on and talk about a West Screen film. East Green, West Green. Right. So, in time, just in time for Halloween, for West Screen, or should I call it West Scream, uh, we have Silent Hill Revelation. A 3D film that is the sequel uh, to the uh, 2000, was it 2006 horror film uh, of the same name, to, uh, Silent Hill, based on the video game series that has, I think, up to nine different entries now. So, uh, much love. Have loved... you played the games, Paul? I have not, uh, sad to say. 
Um, I, I played the first one. That that game scared the crap out of me. Yeah, they are they are known for doing that. Um, I, I tend to prefer games where I have a lot of ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've not been a huge fan of survival horror stuff, per se. Um, but I know that they are wildly popular, and uh, I am I think in the minority a little bit in that I really liked the first film. Um, I thought that it was you know narratively it seemed to fit the survival horror style uh, from the game gamic sense and in some of the some of the things they did although it might have been considered a little bit cliche in some ways um i thought narratively it was interesting but i loved the art direction of it um i know it was based a lot on the art direction of the games but i thought you know they they did an amazing job with uh some of the art and the style of, of the first film so i was kind of looking forward to this film and even more so when I found out that it was going to be sort of a continuation. They were bringing back some of the cast members uh, for this. And unfortunately, uh, I think uh, there's a lesson to be learned. And I'll talk about that lesson in just a moment. But let me talk a little bit about the synopsis. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this builds on the previous film, um, which at the end, uh, the character of Rose and her daughter were kind of left in this ambiguous state at the end of the first film. So if you haven't seen the first film, and uh, I'm going to do a little bit of spoiler territory from that, so uh, you might want to stop listening uh, if you're planning to watch it. But um, so they were left in this ambiguous state, and the the father, uh, Christopher uh, Da Silva, played by Sean Bean, was kind of stuck in the real world, not sure what was going on. So right at the beginning, we're, we're told that um, the mother, Rose, who was played originally played by Rada Mitchell, uh, has found a way to send her daughter uh, over to the side of the real world with her father. And uh, this is done in a very quick uh, sequence and an explanation that doesn't really gel with the events of the first film. It's kind of like something they just made up and wrote down on a bathroom toilet tissue and said, yeah, this will work. It's one of those kind of things. It's like, well, we're in this hole. How do we get out of it? Boom, this happens. And and we explain it to the audience. You know, you just got, Kevin just got done talking about how people, you know, stand around and explain stuff. That's exactly what they do here. And so then time jumps ahead um, um, uh, several years and the daughter is now a teenager and uh, they've had, she's had to move around with her father because they're being chased by these cult members who are tied to some of the things going on in Silent Hill. And so they want to, uh, they want to uh, kidnap Sharon uh, and, and take her back. And so they've changed their names uh, to Heather and Harry Mason, because they've assumed new identities. And this is a tie to the video games themselves, as I was doing some of the research. These are actually the names of uh, other characters from uh, the video games. So it's a little bit of an homage, um, although very loosely. And so she finds herself pursued once again, and ultimately her father is kidnapped and taken back to Silent Hill, and she is told that she needs to go back. And that's something her father's been trying to prevent from happening. He hasn't wanted her to go back because he knew it would be trouble for her. And so this cult wants her, and so they kidnap her father and say, go back to Silent Hill or we're going to kill your father. So, of course, she does. And on the way, she teams up with this other 
teenage boy from her school. And there's a bit of teenage angst going on, of course. And uh, there's plenty of angsty dialogue to support it, which doesn't really work uh, in, in the context of some of the stuff that's going on. But um, it is what it is. And ultimately, the two go to Silent Hill and they get caught up in all the spookyish events that happen in this place as the plot continues to unfold. Um, of course, the central... There's a couple antagonists here. There's actually three different antagonists um, at, at a certain point. Um, but the central antag one of the central antagonists is uh, Alyssa, the, the, the sort of the evil of the first film, um, who the main character, Sharon, or Heather, as her name has changed now, is tied to. And if you've seen the first film, you'll understand what that connection is. Um, but that connection, the way they deal with it now, it kind of gets weird and, and doesn't make a lot of sense based on what was established from the first film. And there are parts, there are things of the first film that are then suddenly not discussed or, or seem to be omitted somehow. Um, so basically it's a sequel that isn't very well written in building on what has been established before. So... The, I guess the main problem is that this wasn't directed by the same director from the visual standpoint. Um, I, th I think Christopher Gans probably had a lot to do with the stylist, the, the stylish look and the quality of the first film. Um, and so here uh, they have a new director, Michael Bassett, who's a fine director. He did uh, a Solomon Kane um, movie a couple years back, which I thought was great. So he knows how to work these kind of genre pieces, but this just looks bad, and I attribute it to the budget. The first film had a budget of about $50 million, and this one they did for $20 million. So if you're going to do a sequel to a film with you know, less than half of the original budget, this is what you get. You get something that ends up looking like a, you know, a made-for-TV movie. Um, it lacks the quality in terms of the art direction. When you get close-ups of some of these monsters, it really looks like CGI that you're going to be seeing... Um, not even on a PlayStation 3, you know, more like PlayStation 2. Um, <clears throat> the plot, again, doesn't really gel nicely with um, the, the, the first film. The, the explanations they give are kind of sloppy and, 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 and ramshod just to get the plot going. Might have been more interesting if they would have just not made the connection with the first film's characters and, and brought in new characters Um you know, they, they could have worked that out, I think, a little bit better if that's what they wanted to do. The main girl, uh, as who's the sort of the lead actress here, as the daughter, Heather, or, or, or Shannon, um, if I can get her name correctly, uh, yeah, her name is Adelaide Clemens, doesn't really do a great job. She's kind of wooden in some of the scenes that she does. The dialogue she's being asked to deliver just doesn't seem appropriate, doesn't seem to fit well. Um, and again, it lacks some of the just some of the overall quality that I felt the first film had. Not the first, not that the first film was an amazing film, but I, I think it was a good film. I liked it. Um, and there are several set pieces that just don't fit. They're, they're, they just seem weird. They just seem like, all right, we're going to do this now. And it has nothing really to do with the plot or character development. It's just something we're going to do. Um, and then some of the, as a result, some of the character actions end up being somewhat weird or, or, or just weak. And as you're seeing what's going on on screen, you're thinking, well, why don't they just do this instead? It would seem to make more more sense. 
Um, there's a cameo by Malcolm McDowell, uh, who shows up and kind of goes over the top. So that's something to look forward to, but it doesn't really help the film at all. Um, and, uh, it just, there, the, the, the title itself is called Revelations, but if you've seen the first film, you pretty much understand everything that's going on in Silent Hill, why it's happening, how it's happening, and the film here doesn't really reveal anything new. So there are no real revelations, um, and it just doesn't feel like a logical continuation from the first film. Uh, can, I, can I recommend it for 3D? Certainly not. I saw it in 2D. Even that, I would say, not really worth seeing in the cinema, um, despite the fact that it's got Sean Bean uh, and Malcolm McDowell uh, and even Carrie Ann Moss. Um, who wasn't in the first film, but she's got a role in this film. I'd say TV it if you are a completionist, if you really want to see how they continued on the story into this film, but be prepared for like a Friday night movie experience more so than a than an actual film experience. So there you have it, Silent Hill. Breaking the silence. Kevin, <laughs> I know you love horror films, right? So you're going to rush out and see it. <laughs> no, I, I like I said the, the 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 game scared the hell out of me. Um, I never watched the film, um, so I really liked yeah. the first film. I know the I know the first film got kind of panned by the critics, but I really liked it, and it did well. The first film, I think, uh, I think the numbers were like fifty million to make, and it made back like a hundred, so it did pretty good. Um, and then I know that I think after that the success they started working on the second film back in 2006 and then had some problems and the director Christopher Gans was originally tapped to do it and then he ended up leaving you know not a good sign and then they brought on um Michael Bassett who I said I loved Solomon Kane so I I I can't really blame him for some of the problems I think they just didn't give him enough budget to work with and so it shows here they've got you know they got Sean Bean back they got Malcolm McDowell but the the rest of the actors, the rest of the cast, just not not a lot there to work with, um, and the art direction just doesn't look that great. That's too bad. Yeah. Um. So there you have it. Uh, go back and watch the original if you're in for a good uh, Halloween spook fest. That would be my recommendation. All right. Oh, we have comments. We have comments from a Facebook page. Yes. Let's, let me, let's do the let me let me first. play this before we get into the comments. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Okay, we do have a couple comments uh, from the chat room. Blue Summers asks, here's a question. Who owns the Bruce Lee name? I have no idea. Bruce Lee's family. Is it is it his family? Is it the Linda yes. Linda Lee line and uh, all the all those gang? Yes, Linda Linda owns the name and all likeness. And um, which is why Bruce Lee, my brother, had to be about the um had to be about um uh, uh Bruce Lee's life before he goes to America because anything after that the family owns. Mm. Uh, so and and the the only reason they they were able to tell that story because they brought the story from the um from from his younger brother. So that was the only reason they could tell that story. 
That's right. I remember we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, you have some other comments for us? Yes, this is from episode 120, 128, uh, the Love is Pajamas and a Ruby Sparks episode. David Harris asks, or he says uh, about Wusha, the Wusha thing makes me groan. The advertising doesn't appear to be giving a representation of the film, which can only lead to disgruntled customers. Is that the uh, Wusha name renamed as Dragon movie thing? Yes, yes, yeah. that's the thing. And um, and I, I can't say I agree or disagree because I haven't seen the film yet. The, the By the way, the film is now available on the U.S. iTunes store um, uh, as yeah, a rental for $9.99 U.S. dollars. So, um, yeah, if you're curious, um, yeah, check it out. See, see what the changes are. I might, if I get crazy one day, I might... Spend ten dollars and see what the changes are myself. Right. Spe- speaking of changes, uh, I forgot to mention this in talking about Silent Hill Re- Revelations. Um, terribly cut for Hong Kong. There were just like two or three blatant uh, edits where they had. Uh, I guess there was a bit of gore um, that was supposed to be there that was just j- jump cutted out, and I was like, "Whoa! What? What, what was going on with that?" Um, but I guess they didn't want to give it a Category 3 rating for whatever reason. Well, because, yeah, it's a big, it's their big, big buy. So they don't want yeah. a Category 3. All right. Uh, any other comments from the Facebook? Nope, that's it. Just the one from uh, Mr. Harris? That's it. Uh, thanks, Mr. Harris. Uh, also, he said he looks forward to my Dini. He votes for my Dini Yip impression. Ah, um, yes. I, I don't remember anymore. Get on the remix of that. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's going to do it, folks. Uh, If you would like to be part of the show, of course, the website is www.kongcast.com, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T. You can also look us up on iTunes. We are there. Uh, Drop us a couple stars if you like what you hear, or leave us a few comments if you don't, and you would like to see us do something different. Uh, You can also catch us on Twitter, twitter.com slash kongcast for the show. Uh, twitter.com slash foxlore to uh, listen to my geeky rantings from time to time and of course uh, twitter.com slash the golden rock to follow Mr. Ma and uh, all the stuff that he does and I would urge you to follow him because he does tweet about a lot of facts, figures, particularly things movie related particularly to Asian cinema so please uh, follow him and of course if you want to get in touch with us directly you can email us at gmail uh, that is eastscreen at gmail.com. Uh, leave us some uh, further comments, a question or two, or even a short MP3 file, and we might just play it here on the show. And uh, if you'd like to be part of the Facebook group, uh, get over there on facebook.com slash eastswests, and uh, you can be part of the, uh, what do they do over there? The, the the friending or the liking or the the something something? I don't know. Like the page, yes. Like the page yeah, like be the a page. fan uh like the page um keep us on your interested uh what was it the interest list um make sure you get our posts um yeah and and come in and discuss with us you know just two fanboys who don't really know what they're talking about and if you would uh gonna be passing through hong kong and you'd like to come out to one of the uh, lovehkfilm.com sponsored movie nights uh, you're going to be passing through. Uh, drop me a line over on Google Plus, and I can uh, make you part of the movie group, and you can see when and where our movie events will be taking place. Uh, so you have to drop me a message so I can add you in, because that is a limited group. But only if you're going to be in Hong Kong. It doesn't make sense to be part of that group if you're 
kind of on the outside looking in. Um, Stitcher, you can catch us on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Possibly even an iPad mini. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, Stitcher <laughs> is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support of our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbers of Snazzer Studios for our theme, Rosh Chen of lovehkfilm.com. Uh, also, thanks to Wei Ping uh, for agreeing to do the interview for us uh, this week. And uh, again, if you're in Hong Kong, we'll urge you to get out and try and catch some of the Ghost Film Festival that's going to be going on at the Hong Kong Film Archive. And of course, uh, big thanks to the K-Man for sticking with me on this Halloween night instead of being out playing tricks on little boys and girls. And of course, all of you, the listeners, um, for sticking with us for 130 soon to be 131 shows and if you haven't done so i urge you to get out there and get a hold of a copy of sector sector seven and listen to our halloween commentary you might not regret it <laughs> and i, I apologize that. in advance <laughs> you might not regret it okay no guarantees um so yeah well that we had big fun doing that and uh we hope you uh, get a chance to listen to that next episode 131 um Probably not going to happen next week. We're, we're still discussing what's going to go on with the schedule because we only have Skyfall coming out this week and we get uh, the big, biggest, the, the, the best film ever from Hong Kong. At least the trailer would have us think so. Uh, Cold War uh, in two weeks. So we're thinking we're going to push back Skyfall and do it together with Cold War for episode 131. And we're looking at maybe two weeks for that episode. And since I'm an episode behind right now in terms of edit editing that kind of might make sense so we'll let you know what's going on on the twitter and on the website calendar so all of that and much more on our next show until then this is east screen west screen wishing you good viewing watch a scary movie have a happy halloween don't eat too much candy and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody Talk.